0: Are you a clinician in primary care who wishes there were better resources to help you understand how to navigate the concept of triage in modern general practice? We'll boost your triage skills with our dynamic five-session live webinar course tailored for primary care clinicians. Led by myself and Dr. Ed Pooley from Difficult Conversations, this comprehensive training covers all facets of remote patient triage, whether that be digital, on-call or other opportunities. Through this course, you'll gain practical knowledge, exclusive hints and tips, and direct access to myself and Ed through open Q&A sessions of the course. Elevate your ability to manage primary care challenges effectively and confidently, and most importantly, safely. Register now to transform your triage approach at bit.ly slash GP triage course, the GP in capitals, and we will definitely catch you then. A 3% pay rise. What does that actually mean across the board for general practice and for NHS health services and how viable is it? We're going to cover that in this episode as we talk about the new 3% suggested pay rise for NHS staff and what that means for general practice, partners and pretty much everybody else. Let's take Enhance Your Primary Care and Learning. You've got me, Dr Gandalf, and we've got Andy, as usual, talking about the 3% pay rise across the board in the NHS for healthcare staff. Well, what do you think, Andy? Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's a little bit more to this when it comes
1: to general practice, because general practice is different to the other parts of the NHS, as we're all aware, and hopefully the viewers are aware. But just in case you're not, GP practices generally are small and medium sized businesses. They hold their own budget and they manage their own finances um, and they make their own sort of funding, purchasing and pay decisions at the end of the day. Um, And they are partnerships run by GP partners for the most part. um, And those partners um, aren't paid a salary. They are paid a share of, uh, what is called profit? I'm not, I'm never sure if that's the right word because it it, it sort of smacks of profiteering, doesn't it? But they are yeah. paid from what is left over after everything else has been paid for. So in effect, sometimes use the word profit, but um, you know we always talk about being paid last, basically. Uh, and mm-hmm. if something has gone wrong elsewhere or costs haven't been controlled or there's been something unforeseen, then we get paid less than we expect because we are yep. holding the business risk um, for the practice. So very different to the situation that hospital. Um, consultants and doctors um, and other elements of the salaried GP workforce find themselves in. Um, So this may mean something different for us. I'm very keen to get your impressions and um, explore Mm. and unpick this topic.
0: Yeah, absolutely agree, Andy. And I guess the other part to be aware of that general practices, as we talk about in terms of small to medium sized businesses, can't be limited liability companies, etc. like most other businesses tend to be. So in terms of that risk of the financial viability of the practice, that is completely borne by the partners themselves. So as you said, if they don't make any surplus or profit or whatever you want to call it, then they end up paying for it and they can't, like many other businesses often do that you hear about, um, declare themselves as bankrupt and actually financially they've not been a risk apart from obviously the staff uh, that that met obviously been out of a job and stuff if that was to happen but I guess the key reason why we're raising this is a, a couple of days ago it was announced that the DDRB so that I've forgotten what exactly it stands for the Doctors and Dentists Review Board that basically decides how much of an uplift um, NHS staff in particular should receive um uh, was confirmed by the government so normally they make a recommendation to the government of the pay increases or changes that should happen to various parts of the nhs staff and then the government decides what they give back in march they initially indicated they were only going to give a one percent pay rise despite all the amazing work the nhs has done over the covid pandemic and everything else um but as of a couple of days ago they've changed that to agree to the DDrB recommendation which was three percent so that is for things like nurses that is for paramedics that is for other members of staff but specifically general practice that's going to be your practice nurses your admin teams and your salaried gps that will not be for the gp partners because it's the practices that have to pay this not the nhs shall we say So hmm. um, that, that's the situation andy is that your interpretation of it uh yeah i think that's the
1: situation i think it's going to be interesting if we just pick a little bit at this to see what it might mean for for mm-hmm. gp practices and then particularly i suppose both sat here as gp partners for gp partners because we need to unpick the business implications yeah. of this and i'm sure we'll have to um get our spreadsheet and our calculators out and go even deeper than we're going to do in this episode to, to mm-hmm. really work out the implications um but yeah so i mean the initial, initial reaction Candy, just in general for the um the nhs workforce three percent within the current um pandemic context. context what's Putting general practice to one side, what's your general reaction to
0: the 3% figure? A bit of a smack in the teeth. That would be my view um, so obviously over the past 18 months the NHS and the healthcare service as a whole has basically stepped up and rapidly and significantly changed the way it does things to try and keep as many patients safe um, we on top of that have obviously delivered a, a well-beating vaccination program to the population to make sure that you know the England can and the UK itself can be as operational as quickly as possible and we've tried to do our utmost best despite several decisions made by our government to keep the population safe and things um and for that the reward they're then having is a three percent increase in pay which is not even in line with inflation over the past couple of years and stuff so yeah doesn't taste very nice does it andy
1: yeah i think i was hoping to see a a bigger figure i'm going to be devil's advocate slightly and um Mm -hmm. say well but you know we're also looking at a situation where um you know a number of people's. So healthcare work has been really, really challenging and people have sacrificed an Mm -hmm. awful lot over last year. So, I mean, we have to absolutely acknowledge that Um, there are other sectors that are just beginning to come out of um, of lockdown where the outlook for those jobs is really, really, really uncertain and it's really unclear what's going to happen. So so um, some elements of the country may look at a three percent pay rise in what is considered a sort of, relatively secure industry, can rain or shine economically, healthcare jobs are traditionally fairly secure. Um, pe- people in other industries may be looking thinking, actually, I wish, wish I had a guaranteed job and a 3% pay rise when they're looking at redundancy. So just sort of providing a little bit of balance there. Um, mm-hmm. that, being, that being said, you know, it's 3% after a horrible um time in the pand- pandemic um and uh that's on the back of you know years of underfunding and struggling to uh, recruit sufficient numbers of doctors nurses healthcare professionals carers and so forth this doesn't even talk about carers actually and um, people who work in care homes and yeah. social care uh, and i think they if anything i mean they if we get three percent they deserve more than that because for many of them their starting point is is, is lower than it is for, for many of us who work in the nhs so yeah i think it's complicated um i would like to have seen seen more um i'm glad that it's more than one percent but which was what was mm-hmm. suggested previously and it's in the context of quite constrained government finances so I, I don't know i don't really know what to think i'm just thinking meh really um to it mm-hmm. yeah so shall we start to to pick apart a little bit in terms yeah,
0: of- sure. So I know you want to share, obviously, um, some documents in particular, we've got this article by Pulse um, and it talks about the salary GP pay rise and how it feels like an empty promise because it's not got any attached funding. I guess this is the key thing. The government has said that, you know, 3% should be given to these members of staff, but it hasn't made any direct provision for that 3% to come from the various organisations that would have to pay that 3%. There's not been a de- designated uplift that satisfies that increase, shall we say, at the same time.
1: However, so earlier in the yep. year as part of the sort of agreed, um, I think five-year rolling sort of um, uh, funding for general practice um, agreement um, mm-hmm. between the Department of Health and um, and, and BMA GPC committee, um, there is actually, and I, I had to look back and just sort of remember what this document said, because there was a lot going on earlier in the year when this came out. But actually there was already some... Reasonable, I use the word reasonable, um, increases to the main ways that general practice gets funded. So in terms of the global sum, mm-hmm. um, the amount that we get paid per patient per year, mm-hmm. £96. Try and ensure your hamster for that, we always say. Um, that's for general practice to do what it does to provide healthcare, uh, mm-hmm. And also quaff another place where we get a lot of our funding from, similarly a 3-ish percent increase in that. And then out of hours, similar, similar adjustment um, for the provision that passes to out of hours providers as well so some people are saying actually you were already getting a three percent increase in your um in your global sum your main types mm-hmm, of income yeah. um, so it's already covered
0: what say you to that well I, I guess a couple of the parts to pick from that so yes there has been an increase that increase was based on previous negotiations that happened several years ago um, as part of the PCN DES. Um, and haven't taken into account significant changes. I think the entire healthcare service and particularly general practice has undergone over the past year and a half. I think the other part as well, that negotiation was also more recently predicated on a 1% increase for staff, um, which was originally the government's intention. So therefore, actually, does that encompass the increases that would then happen? Mm, probably not when you encounter, you know, when you count up all the other kind of things that general practice is being asked to do with that increase in funding because it's not just here's the money off you go and keep doing what you're doing now on top of that we also have to do all the various different parts of the pcn days which yes there's some separate funding for that but there is additional work that's come through additional monitoring requirements the significant change cycle that's happened in general practice that is being funded apparently by this small increase and stuff and in addition mm-hmm. the expansion to make sure that we are still keeping coping for the needs of the population and let's remember. And this is one of the key things I think many people have a problem with. The capitation that we get, that £97 that Andy showed us, that is unlimited access to your general practitioner um, and to the practice itself. So you can go, hundred times in a year. And I have patients that do this, that come to the practice a hundred times a year, or you can go once a year. Yes, the practice gets exactly the same amount, but they have to make sure that they have the capacity to try and cope with that. And that is one of the reasons why it's so difficult at times to get a GP appointment from perception. Although obviously contact with your practice is a separate thing and absolutely a lot easier than people think it is, at the very least it is in ours, because we know that many of our patients have contact with us on a regular basis. That's how it's funded that's where the funding comes from and stuff but it's also why the three percent increase is a bit of a challenge because increasing the wage bill which is probably the largest expense for most practices outside of possibly estates by three percent when your income has gone up by probably a similar amount but at the same time the amount of work you're being asked to do has done this as well doesn't balance and therefore where's that money actually coming from and more importantly for those that are then having to have their livelihood based on what's left over it's going the wrong way unfortunately and i don't know about you andy but my pay unfortunately year on year is actually going down rather than even staying the same
1: yeah that's been my experience over the last 10 years of being a gp partner actually <laughs> is that the uh, the amount of uh, money that you take home is actually Stood either completely still or mm-hmm. gone down a bit over over ten years. Yeah, our
0: workload is doing. The
1: that. workload has increased, and mm-hmm. the inflation and and there's just been general inflation as well. You know, what, yep. what was a pound in uh, in 2011? You know, you can't buy for a pound anymore in 2021. Yep. So I think GP partners have become poorer over that time period, or that's my experience of it. And it's difficult when you need to recruit GP partners to um, sustain the whole general practice sector absolutely
0: and just um, before we get any of those right-wing comments that come in and say well there's doctors out there that earn 150,000, 200,000, a million pounds or whatever the crazy number the daily mail comes up with at this point let's be clear that is an exceptionally small proportion of gp partners that's often down to external um, factors like they own the companies that actually hire gps that is not your average gp i can guarantee you i may well i don't know about andy but i definitely do not earn anywhere near those levels of finance and stuff despite working about 70 hours a week at the moment.
1: Yeah, ditto over here, Uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, I was just gonna highlight, actually, remember this is within the context of increasing pressure to increase capacity to meet Mm -hmm. the demands of patients. We mustn't forget that pre-pandemic, the sorts of conversations we were having were about patients living longer Mm -hmm. with more, uh, more medical conditions, more complex medical conditions, more availability of treatment to keep them alive longer. They require more input, more monitoring, More consultations per year and on the other side there's actually a sort of a consumer-led consumerization attitude towards general practice meaning that people generally expect more and quicker access Mm -hmm. from the gps and we see that consultation rates with gps and the number of consultations provided are going up and if that if those demands are to be met then um, there is a a basic increase in funding for the sector that needs to um, that, that needs to happen so yeah, I think it's it's difficult if practices were budgeting based on the figures of a three percent increase in uh, mm-hmm. most of its income streams, one percent increase in wage bill, um, looking to meet some of the um increased demands and expectations placed on them by government and patients um to now be faced with a significant change in that plan and increasing the wage bill. I think it's difficult for those people who are planning how to deliver Mm -hmm. services a general practice i think we will find that services will not improve and expand in the way that was hoped Mm -hmm. and i think we'll see that gp partners and it's difficult because nobody will be playing their little violins uh for us it never happens i won't hold my breath but um i think income will again sort of stagnate or go down a little bit and whilst i don't i don't actually i'm not really looking for some sympathy um but i think it is an issue for everybody because the system does need gp partners and people are stopping mm-hmm. being partners um regularly the numbers of partners are going down so you're looking at a bit of a crisis in the sector if people actually still want any access to their mm-hmm. gp surgeries or decent access then um you know it, it needs to be palatable to be a gp partner or the whole system will not work um, so there's a sustainability sustainability issue that i think the public and the government should be interested in they're not necessarily going to be interested in how much gps get paid but um, hmm. the sustainability of the
0: sector should be of interest to them absolutely agree i think there's significant challenges i know there will be some practices out there that um you know if they were to give the three percent increase which actually i think a lot of practices want to give their staff an increase let's be clear our staff have been absolutely amazing they worked you know dedicatedly re- under really difficult circumstances over the past year and a half and you know um to reward them financially for the work they're doing is absolute priority and an important part of it how to make sure the business continues to be viable as a result of that is a, often a challenge and that's a challenge every business has let's be honest with that point but the key thing is if you are working in a situation where, and I know this is going to happen in some practices, where the salaried doctors, those clinicians that are paid to work there as employees, are actually earning more than the business owners, that creates inequality, particularly if the workload is completely different, and that then creates more frustrations. And like you say, the more likelihood that those partners will say, I've had enough, I can't deal with this, I'm off. And the reason why, general practice, in my personal view, is the most efficient form of healthcare delivery part of the healthcare system itself? Is because of the partnership model. It's the reason why it is so cheap. Let's be honest. General practice delivers ninety percent of the patient contacts in the NHS for less than ten percent of that budget. You know that's what thirteen point four billion. The entire general practice gets paid roughly. If you go off the back, the NHS budget, one hundred thirty four billion. You know, compare that to Test and Trace, they've got 37 billion, and let's be honest, how effective was that? Well, we're in the middle of Pingate, so you tell me. Um, But those are the comparative differences we are dealing with, and yet, the entire general practice is funded for almost a third of what Test and Trace has had resource for in the past year. Imagine how amazing general practice would be if it had that level of funding. Just imagine it for a second. And that's what we're dealing with. But hey, I'm ranting. I apologize, Andy. I know it's sometimes gone out on my level.
1: No, no, no. I, I can rant as well. Where, 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 where's the workforce, Gandhi? Even if you had the money, where would you find all of these people? It takes five years. It takes 10 years to, well, what, seven years to train a GP?
0: Um, eight. So you get much better retention of the existing workforce. And that's why where the workforce would come from. Because actually, if you adequately resource general practice to say that it can cover the workload that comes through, I suspect that the workforce has increasingly been saying they're not going to work full time because it's too difficult, because it's too pressured, because it's too challenging. We'll then starts to say, actually, I can come back because I've got more resources to make sure that the practice can function effectively. Mm-hmm. But yeah, okay. it, it is there. It's just convincing to come back.
1: That's true.
0: That's true. Um, so.
1: Gandhi, I'm going to ask you to I want you to give give me a um a figure and this has to be Oh, oh actually I'm going to I'm going to fact check you um first because uh, I I don't think the inflation rate has been above 3% for okay,
0: um,
1: the last few years. I think we've had historic low um in, uh, inflation just before other people come in and, and fact checkers. Um but still inflation now um I think is is, is above the Bank of England's 2% target and uh, many expect expected to go Higher, so I think there is a cost pressure on the sorts of things that GP practices have to have to purchase in as well as wage costs. Um, mm-hmm. but I was going to ask you a question so, what what should the figure be for the NHS if you were to suggest a realistic figure for the NHS um pay rise this year? i been talking you know, hospital docs as well, just the, the headline figure. Um, what should it
0: be? I'll be honest. I don't know because you're right. We are balancing that against other parts of the the, the industries where they, people have lost their jobs. You know where people are not able to work. Where you know there's been other challenges. Oh, I'll be honest. I couldn't give you a figure. and I don't know what the figure is, and I'm the wrong person to ask what the figure is because you can ask me. What kind of pay rise should you give me? I'd ask for 100%. You know, um, but then I'm realistic. I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to get that. But I think what needs to be understood is, is the funding model that fits, sits behind all of this and that it needs to be equitable and sustainable. That's the key thing. These comments are just media pundits. You know, their optics for the government say, yay, we've given the NHS more money, but actually they haven't. Let's be clear on that point they haven't given general practice more money they've you know they given gps sorry gps they haven't given nurses more money they've just been told the organizations that pay them to pay them more money but we're not going to give you the money to do that so you're going to have to make cuts elsewhere and that will mean changes in services to patients and that's what they never talk about in these kind of optics and stuff so mm. yeah there we go yeah mm-hmm. I, think, I think i'd i think i'd not answer the
1: question directly and would ask for concrete pledges about um in genuine sort of investment in um health and social care with a a real credible plan that stretches out a few years into the into the future and doesn't change every five minutes so so some real investment and i think and that does involve involving increased investment in the workforce and enhancing pay but i'd like to look at what's required to retain the right people with the right skills in the right places in the right areas and i'm not not always sure about headline pay increases in general to be honest I think it's important that we know because we need to know if it's too low um but the same pay rise for everybody everywhere in the country i, I don't i don't know if that's the right approach um but anyway there we go it was fun unpicking that that topic and i think there was a little bit was, more to it than the headline so that was an episode for me
0: Cool. So if you've got any comments or questions, you learners, let us, let us know. We're more than happy to hear your comments. If you think we're talking complete poppycock and stuff, then let us know. And um, If you agree with us again, absolutely. Let us know. Give us a like if you found this useful content and stuff, because it lets us know that this is useful. And as always, EGP learning is here to help tech enhance your primary care and learning. We will catch you in the next episode. Oh, hello there, EGP learner. I'm Dr Gandalf and I often get asked what kind of resources do you have to try and help those using EMIS because you tend to do a lot more stuff for system one and often I've really struggled to answer that question because let's be honest I don't use EMIS on a regular basis so therefore trying to help EMIS users is a little bit more difficult for myself and that really made me feel well not great so I kind of did something to try and help all those EMIS users out there I went ahead and checked one of my colleagues Dr Mike from GP on the move And him and I have created a course that you can use to help you use EMIS so much better. That's right. If you use EMIS, but you want to use it so much better, so much quicker, and in such a way that means you go home sooner, then check out our EMIS for Clinicians course. It's an online course that takes you through all the tips and tricks that Dr. Mike knows to try and basically mean you can go home quicker. That'd be a cool thing, wouldn't it? guess what? It's currently on offer. So if you want to take advantage of this introductory offer and get access to it now, look at the links down below and check it out. Additionally, if you're a practice, network or wide area that wants more opportunity to use it, send me an email, egplearning at gmail.com. Let's see if we can help you out. And as I like to say, tech enhance your primary care and learning. Shall we get back to it? Oh. And if you wanted one for System 1 users, well, you know I've got you covered, haven't I? Check out the Learn System 1 for Clinicians course, bit.ly slash s1 course.